Released on January 29th, 2017. This Agile Life, episode 125. Holy crap, that's a lot of episodes. DevOps Extravaganza of Tangents. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on this agile life. All right. Uh, I guess we'll go ahead and um, do an intro or do we will do that at the end, right? Yep. Well, all right. Semi. Yeah. I'm your host of this Azure Life, Miss Mr. Hanky. Oh, I'm boy. here tonight with Craig Buchak. All right, let's start over. <laughs> oh, Craig, you you afraid to have Mr. Hanky on? Oh uh, yeah, I think so. What are, what are you? Are you poo racist? Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Uh. All right, John. That's an outtake. <laughs> You know that John's going to just put this in. Probably. And in case everybody didn't notice, this is Amos, um, the obnoxious one. But the Mr. Hanky voice was definitely Craig. No, no. (laughs) This is is Craig. This is Craig's voice right here. Mr. Hanky. I I probably violated some copyright law by talking about Mr. Hanky. Um, But, you know. We'll, we'll give credit to South Park for creating the character of Mr. Hanky. Oh, gosh. I haven't watched South Park in a long time. It's probably a good thing. It keeps me semi-appropriate in, oh, in my boy. work life. <laughs> so how's how's the work life going? Uh, well, the work life right now is um, pretty awesome. I'm fun employed. I have I have zero clients, uh, but I'm speaking at a... At Elixir days in March, and so I've been spending my time learning some Elixir. It, it was, it was. I, I'm just going to tell you this story because I don't know if I told you, Craig. I I was sitting uh, looking at some Elixir things, and I had some thoughts going on in my head about storing data in a process, and I noticed that Elixir days had their CFP up. So um, I, mm. I've submitted a lot of conference talks over the years, and <laughs> not really ever had one accepted because I kind of suck at submitting conference talks. Um, but I had this idea in my head and just some questions. I didn't have any answers. So I turned the questions into a CFP and, and me putting out a CFP is like, like a junior high kid who's practiced in front of the mirror a million times about asking a girl to dance. Um, only when I practiced in the mirror a million times, she'd always said no. And I knew how to handle it. (laughs) So I got myself all covered up in brute and, uh, went out there and, and asked her to dance and I'll be damned. They said yes. And then I just about threw up on their shoes. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's where I am. Um, been doing a, a lot of Elixir lately. Um, putting in some commits to the core too, which is kind of cool. Not something that I've had a lot of time for with open source in the past. Um, even though I really love it and try to give back when I can. So I, I'm feeling pretty lucky being fun employed, but that being the case, I'm, I still would love to have a client. What, what kind of client are you looking for? Or what kind of, uh, roles are you looking to fill for them? Uh, Kind of the same thing that um, you and I have talked about a few times on here is the agile practitioner or agile uh, player coach where um, I teach teams to technically write better software while being part of the team and um, in their practices, their their daily way that they work. So the way that they work and the way that they um, um, design the software itself. 
uh, in both both of those instances. Uh, Ruby, I'd really love to do some elixir. Uh, I am now a core committer. Um, I, I do not have I do not have commit rights, so I don't know if that's the right term, but I have a couple commits in there. Um, and uh, written some blog posts recently, and 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 done some videos. Um, well, done a video. I, I have a couple more, but I haven't edited them yet. Um, which is kind of a lot of the fun stuff that I I like to do whenever I have some free time. So I've also started looking for work. Uh, I'm currently unemployed, so uh, I'm taking my time. Um, I'm actually hoping to move to the San Francisco Bay Area, and. Uh, so I've been working on my resume, uh, trying to think about how to explain what I do, what it is that we do, um, the player coach role. And I actually had player coach down in the resume and decided to change it to agile practitioner because I think player coach is sort of a term that I invented myself. So <laughs> I've, I've had to think about those kind of things lately. Yeah, it's a... It's a tough thing to do to explain the role. I don't know that um, the things that we do even fit under a practitioner all that well, because often a practitioner isn't so much coaching too. I mean, maybe a little bit, but yeah, but not a lot. And, and well, I now, think now you're gonna make me put it back to player coach. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. all right. I mean, you coin your own term and then and then make it your thing. Um, I feel like we're advertising a lot here, but <laughs> that's not not what the intention of this was. Uh, maybe it wasn't your intention. Uh, so uh, your intention, Craig? Is I don't blame you. Um, you use the use the voice that's given to you, right? Yep. So you wanted to talk to what you really wanted to talk to you about today is uh, DevOps. Well, and that's a lot of using the voices given to you too. <laughs> uh-huh. So I've actually um, I I've been deploying an app for the last couple of days, and um, it, it had me thinking about uh, places that I've been in contact with in the past, whether I work there or not. Um, I see a lot of there's a DevOps team that's separate from the development team. Um, maybe there's a developer to the crossover. Or maybe the DevOps team is a small section of the developers, but but really often it's a completely separate team. You throw things over to the wall to them. Oh my, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that means you completely missed the point. <laughs> so so I, I that's that's kind of what I want to get at is, is missing the point of DevOps. I don't I don't understand what DevOps is whenever it's a separate team that deploys because that's not really DevOps. Yeah, that's called ops. Yeah, and and. <laughs> And putting a different name on it, just because you call your your ops group DevOps doesn't mean that they're doing DevOps. Yeah. So, I mean, theoretically, you could have a DevOps team, but that team would sort of go out to the other teams and, and assist them and sit with them and things like that. I, I so I would say there's there's guilds right. Uh, people talk about guilds, which are like cross sections of people in the company that have the same interest. I hate that and, term. Well, I I mean that's what a guild is though, right? It's a cross section of people with the same interests. No, um, a guild that, a that guild try is to train a, each other. Nope, a guild is a group of people all doing the same kind of activity. I, I would say DevOps does that though, right? Mm, no, but you, but but you could have a you could have like a Java development guild. Well, maybe it'd be, maybe it'd be really big if you had a Java development guild. 
Anyway, <laughs> all right, we'll move on. Um, yeah. Any, anyway, the uh, outside of the term guild, um, I think that you, I still wouldn't call them a team, but like you could have some people that are like really into the operations side, but they're still developers, and you could have them get together once in a while. But I really think that, in my opinion. Every single person on your team should know how to deploy, should know how to debug the deploy, should know how to fix a deploy, should know how to work on a server. Yeah. I mean, maybe they don't know every in and out of every security protocol and everything like that, but but your bus number on on deployment should be just as high as your bus number on anything else. Ooh, speaking of bus number... Uh, first of all, we should we should describe what the bus number is for those who haven't heard of it yet. Uh, the bus number is the number of people that could get run over by a bus uh, before you'd have to shut the project down. Basically, the the number of people that are you know so important to the project that you could not lose them. Uh, I heard of the term uh, inverse bus number. It's the number of people that could get run over a bus, and it would actually improve your project. <laughs> <laughs> the the nobody would care. Yeah, well, not only that, but they're actually negatively productive, and so getting rid of them would actually improve your team. What what was it? The uh, plus minus rating? Um, yeah, that's that's from, a, from hockey. Yeah, so in hockey, especially, there's something called the plus minus rating, um, and it is so they basically count up all the time you're on the ice and the time that you're not on the ice and determine. Um, if the team is more likely to score, not just you, but the entire team is more likely to score while you're on the ice. Um, Even if you never touch the puck. Yes. <laughs> so, and if you think about um, maybe a defenseman, you know, doing some board checking or something like that, you, you could actually have an effect without without touching the puck. Right. I, I And I think that uh, that's like a good thing to think of with developers is that they have plus minus ratings and you know, if you're more positive than negative and you're having great impacts and causing the team to have great wins, it doesn't mean that you're writing all the software or in our case that we're talking about tonight, deploying all the software, but uh, you may be the person that's really good at keeping people focused. You may be the person that's really good about breaking up um, discussions and getting them to focus on what their original point of the discussion was and things like that. And you can have a huge impact on a team Without being rockstar developer, rockstar security yeah. guy, the cowboy who's you know uh, the 10x programmer who's cranking out ten times as much code, but you know the quality is maybe crappy, uh, <laughs> and maybe maybe you've got a better plus minus rating by you know being the person doing code reviews, right? Yeah, um, that was a little nice little tangent there, but uh, uh, the the DevOps stuff like. I don't, I don't, I have a hard time discussing this with people. I I have a big problem that I see with a single DevOps team is that your DevOps team knows how to deploy uh, a Ruby app, right? And they're really good at deploying Rails apps. That's what they know how to do. And then the development team wants to learn, wants to do Elixir for some reason, um, maybe they have some high sockets, lots of sockets or something that they need to be highly available and fault tolerant. And so they think that Elixir or Erlang or whatever is, is a, is a better decision, but the DevOps team doesn't know how to deploy that. 
and the debugging process to it is often related to the code. So you're throwing things over the wall, and they're trying to put it up, maybe not knowing everything about it, and then they send it back to you, and, and there's there's a lag time, and then there's also the, hey, you got to get a hold of the DevOps team and schedule that, <laughs> instead of being able to just get it done, um, which I've had in the past. I've had to deploy something that might affect a large part of the system, and they're like, hey, you need to get the entire DevOps team here before you can do that. And I'm like, well, why isn't the team the DevOps team? Why isn't everybody in the company doing that? Yeah. And then I've even been at companies where they have a DevOps team, but then every single person at the company can deploy at any time, and they know how to deploy. But then once they deploy, if anything goes wrong, they can't touch any of the servers. You can't log into anything. Well, there's there's actually some good arguments for that, but usually it's immutable servers, and nobody should be able to touch the servers. Oh, that's or, true. Or at least just, make changes to them, because otherwise you end up with snowflakes like, oh, this server got fixed, and that server never got fixed, or we deployed a second time, and it broke because there was a manual change. But, but to, well, to the to point me, is... To, wait, wait, wait. That's not an everybody problem. Like, everybody, there should be some kind of discipline and understanding and if everybody's involved all the time in that then they know if they fix the server they have to fix all of them they have to roll them out they have to make a new image whatever whatever your right, process right, right. is and and you solve that as an entire team and not five people that are in a different state yeah no i'm just saying that my point was that hopefully you have no one making changes to servers that that aren't through that process of of automation that gets sent out automatically to all five servers. Welcome to this DevOps life. <laughs> I'm your host. <laughs> uh, um, so I think the the best DevOps people I see are people that have been in operations that are currently developers, or vice versa. Uh, and and myself and two other people on my current team fall into that category. And so we are, you know, we develop the software, but we're also working on deploying it through Docker and Kubernetes, and um, we use a lot of Ansible. So we've got a lot of um, automation of server tasks and deployments. Um, our 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 program is very complicated too. Actually, it's we've got like I think we've got over a dozen different services running all talking to each other um, and coordinating all that is sort of an operations type of thing. Uh, you know, it's not quite development, but you know, that's if you're, if you're going to be using microservices, you're going to have to deal with that and getting your application working means getting all those pieces to talk to each other. And to me, that's, that's a big part of DevOps is uh, not only developing those microservices, but, coordinating the way they talk to each other, uh, making sure that they're highly available and uh, easily deployable. So are you teaching that to the rest of the team? Um, the three of us kind of... Well, uh, Kubernetes is really complex. None of us know it too well. One guy knows it a little bit, and he's uh, been working on how to get Kubernetes configured. And um, when we do a code review... He goes over how that works so that the rest of us can learn some of it. Uh, we are not currently in production yet. We will be in about a month. And at that time, we'll have to deal with, you know, server outages more. So when you are deploying, 
Uh, what do you like? Do you grab somebody who hasn't deployed at least? Uh, most of our deployments are actually automated, um, and we've got a Jenkins job. So what happens is we've got, and we probably got about forty Jenkins jobs. Um, and they're sort of pipelines so that if one completes successfully, it kicks off some others. Uh, and ev- eventually that deploys to dev automatically, actually. Um, and then we've got a, um, a process uh, or a Jenkins job that, uh, we can manually deploy to take what's on dev and promote it up to production. So you have some kind of continuous deployment process, whether it's going to dev or production, which is what I've been setting up the last couple of days, that my tests run and it deploys out to production if they pass. Um, so I think that that is another part of the reason why you have DevOps as part of your entire dev <clears throat> team is because I think that there are some concerns that as you step through all of that process that are met at the developer level all the way up to the deployment ops level. Um, And so that continuous deployment process, I think is best handled by a whole team moving along with it and understanding that process at every step. Yeah. Um, So our teams that are what I'm currently at, we're also in charge of fixing problems. So we're, we're sort of forced into DevOps just because we have to support our own code running on servers in production. Do you think that, uh, you know, like, like ops stuff, there's a lot of security that goes into that and securing a box. Um, do you think that, uh, knowing the security side in a server, um, teaches you things about how to make a more secure application, from the development side? Um, not necessarily. I, I think it would probably make you think about it a little bit more. If, if you've been in operations, you probably had to deal with some security things, at least you know firewalls to make sure that only the ports that you want open are um, available. Um, so you've probably got a little bit more experience actually dealing with security issues. You've, you've probably dealt with a security breach, come to think of it, if you've been in ops. Um, so I think you've just had more experience thinking about security, which is, you know, probably about fifty percent of the the way to uh, improving your security. Well, so at, at that point, I would say that there's a good reason why your developers should be involved in deploying, and there's a good reason for your deployment people to be involved in development. Is that hopefully that keeps that security mind going along the whole process. Yeah, and if let's say you're working on some microservices, um, and that that's how your app works, the the operations side, the people from the operations side, are going to have better experience in getting those microservices to talk to each other. They they understand the the network communication um, usually better than the developers. Um, so having them work on that communication between the microservices is very helpful. Uh, yeah, I, I think so a lot. I know that um, I, I've multiple ways and multiple times uh, been in charge of setting up servers and deploying, and uh, it's not my favorite thing to do <laughs> at all. 
and some people it is they love it and they eat it up but i i think that in stepping through that process uh um and walking through it especially if i have somebody available that i can ask some questions to really helps me understand like the path that all of my communication has to go through and really once you get into let's say your rails application it's still going through a similar type of pipeline for a little bit of what you have at the end of your application and it's helped me that knowledge of that pipeline outside of my application and inside has 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 helped me debug some issues that I don't think I would have gotten had I not understood the dev or the ops side. So I ended up in the operations side of the of IT for many years, actually, um, earlier in my career, not not as much recently. Um, so that kind of leads me to be uh, do a lot of DevOps now. Uh, but the the interesting thing is, it, it does go both ways. It's not just operations people helping the developers, it's also the developers helping the operations people. Um, and so, you know, about 10, 15, definitely 20 years ago, um, we treated our servers like pets. You know, each one you had to manually configure um, and you'd go through manual steps. You know, that could take, you know, half an hour or a couple hours to set up each server. And... So the, the problem with that is if you miss a step, then you've got one server that's different than all the others. And, you know, and then when you're troubleshooting and you mainly go into a server and you make changes and you forget to, you know, you do four or the five, but you forget the fifth one. Now all your servers are starting to diverge and they get brittle. So when something breaks, you know, you're, you're, so you start to get loath to want to make manual changes because you're afraid it's going to break because you've made manual changes before and it just gets out of hand so that you don't even want to deploy because you know when you deploy you're going to break something. Um, so what developers did to improve on that situation is come up with these, I'll call them DevOps tools, it's not the best name for them, but things like Chef and Puppet and Ansible to make sure all your servers are configured um, through an automatic process. And we say that, you know, we can now we can treat all those servers like, like cattle instead of pets. You know, you don't have to give each server a different name. You don't have to, you know, treat each one differently. Um, and if uh, one of the servers, if, if you need to expand from, from five to six servers, you just roll out another server and, and use the automated deploy script. Um, or if you know one of the, the five goes down, you can just leave it down and replace it with another one. And um, I guess virtualization, uh, the cloud, things like Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud, have, has made that a lot easier to deal with, though, too. Uh, that, all that stuff, um, I like what I see for the most part on how easy it is to get things out there and have your own machines in different places. But it's really like, <clears throat> makes my head spin. I mean, you got, you have VMs, you have containers, you have unikernels, you have Kubernetes. I don't even know where that thing falls. Uh, like all these different things out there to choose from. And, and I think that they have an impact on your application development. Uh, and, and they have an, uh, an impact on 
your ops and, and how they're doing security and things like that? Yeah, the problem is it gets a little overwhelming with all the, the things out there. Um, you've got the deployment things, and then you've got the the um, sort of scheduling. They call it scheduling, but it's basically deciding which processes run on which servers. So that's things like Docker and Kubernetes and uh, Mesosphere. And, and I guess that's that's where that DevOps team, if you have a DevOps team, or at least you know DevOps folks can can come into your team and, and help you figure those things out. And I, I still think, like, ideally, though, your whole team is doing that, along with development. Yeah, but not everyone's going to have experience with that, so you need to bring in the people with that kind of experience. Uh, well, and then spread the knowledge, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, that's the whole thing, is let's lower that bus number, and also let's stop throwing things over the wall. Oh, definitely. Throwing things over the wall is awful. Uh, but but that's what I see. Yeah, my, my last company um, that I was at... Um, it was definitely a throw it over the wall type of place, um, you know, monthly deployment. That that works really well. And uh, when things went poorly, you know, the deployment process took hours. And there's you know people on conference calls, and you know just sitting there doing nothing, just waiting for something to break or to jump in and solve problems when it does break. No, oh, I have done that. We deploy. We, the DevOps team, have decided that we deploy at midnight, and you, the developer, will be sitting on the conference call to answer any questions that we have. Yeah. And, and half the time it was, I already know how you guys deploy. Can I just do it? Because <laughs> they're going to ask me 50 questions along the way. Yeah, getting, getting to that place of automation is definitely where you want to get to. I think it's harder to get there if you have purely ops and I and and purely dev, and I think that's where the DevOps thing comes in. Yes, is, yeah. is getting to continuous deployment, getting to things being automated, removing that one-off where somebody forgets to change one server. I mean, those those are really the the keys there. I think. Yep. Um. I don't have any thing to add unless you do. Uh, nothing I can think of. So, um, oh well, we can talk about some of the tools. Um, what kind of tools have you used for DevOps? Oh, uh, have you used Schefter Puppet? You're, we're we're both Ruby people. Have you used Schefter Puppet? They're uh, both Ruby. Uh, and Ruby. I have used Chef and Puppet and Vagrant and very hmm. briefly touched Kubernetes and Docker. Um, and then I, I've also worked with, uh, like, there's a lot of different deployment tools. Um, Capistrano, eDeliver, Gatling. Um, I can't remember. There were others that I used in, in Rubyland. There was some Java stuff. There was also, like, release tools. So there's a difference between cutting a release, like, it, especially with uh, a compiled language, and making a new version versus deploying a new version. So, like, you might build a, a war file with one tool and then deploy the war file with a completely different tool. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the war file is an artifact. You know, it's, it's a thing that you create and then use in, in your deployment. 
Right. Um, and that's what we would have a versioning tool to keep track of different versions of of the application. It would generate like the war file. And then we had a completely different tool for deploying and restarting servers or, and then you have like Amazon web services, you know, you, you um, digital ocean API kind of been all over the place with that stuff. Mm-hmm. So despite being a Ruby developer, um, I actually prefer Ansible strongly to chef and uh, puppet. Um, and I, I think that's because uh, Ansible was built with a, a push mentality that you don't need to install anything on the servers. Um, you just you know configure your list of servers. You configure the list of of tasks or um, so, sort of a description of how you want the servers to end up, and uh, it basically SSHs into them all in parallel and does what it needs to do to get you to the configuration you want. Um, Chef and Puppet have that now. Chef Solo, I think, and I don't remember what the Puppet one is called. Um, but they weren't built with that in mind. They were built um, with an agent running on every server, um, and it would have to connect to a master system, which uh, had its configuration. It would ask for its configuration, and it would the agent would would do what it needed to do. And that just seems overly complex for what you're trying to accomplish. Um, so I am quite happy with Ansible. It's it's got some odd things about it. Uh, it uses a YAML file to um, describe the system the way you want the system to end up, uh, which has some problems like it's really hard to do an if then in it. Um, but there's after you get used to it, I, I really like it. Um, there's a couple next generation ones coming out there. Uh, one is by some people I know here in St. Louis called Converge. Um, and its idea is it sort of does the dependency, um, resolution for you and figures out what order to run things in instead of you having to figure that out yourself. That sounds cool. Uh, I know that Chef has a new product coming out or is out called Habitat, hmm. um, which, at first, I thought it sounded like a container, but then it seems to be a little bit more. Um, allows you to kind of build a semi-app container and all of its dependencies, but then deploy to multiple platforms, and it figures out how to deal with the dependency issues through different multiple platforms. Um, and I've been I've been looking into Unikernels lately. Um, a friend of mine owns a company called Defer Panic that uh, actually hosts Unikernels for people. And and unikernels were kind of a crazy I- idea to me. Is that it's just like your app bootable? It's like a ba- it's like putting your app on bare metal with with no extra. Well, generally no file system even is the crazy thing. Um, yeah the the way that Docker uh, usually works, and especially if you're doing Kubernetes, is you only have one process running. Um, but it still has uh, access to the full file system. Uh, and you can have what they call sidecar processes, too, that you can't have a second process in there. And when you have a, uh, you have a full file system with all the, the tools, you know, you've got possibly VI, you can, you've got less, you can uh, shell into the, the container, look around, check out the file system. Unikernels takes that away from you. And, and I'm still struggling... <laughs> 
dealing with, you know, getting in these containers and not having most of the tools I'm used to, you know, not having a full Vim. Uh, sometimes you're lucky to have VI even on them. Um, yeah. So dealing, learning how to deal with that with, you know, a minimal uh, Linux installation is is tricky. And it, to take, it, take all that away and then make me troubleshoot, I, I don't even know how I, where I'd start with that. If, if any, like, Linux system, like, minimal means, like, you don't even have a shell. You, you really can't get into it. Um, it is a container, a closed container for your app that, <clears throat> I, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not 100% on it, but what I do like is that they boot up quickly and it looks like it, it eliminates so many attack vectors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but it is, it is like, even if you're deploying it to the cloud, it is like deploying your code to an embedded device, right? There are yeah, a lot of yeah, embedded devices so. that you build your application. And that is the only thing that actually boots on that device. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple things that that leads to one is you're going to have to have testing down really well it, it's right. it's, it's going to force a lot of new things like that you're probably not prepared for quite yet and and you know we've had the discussion you and i you're you're usually the person who likes to force those things force your team to to address those and i like to address them first at least as much as i can and then then do that thing but um yeah yeah, you'd have to be really good at testing it in, you know, production in its production state. Um, you probably want something like um, Erlang or you know Elixir, which is sits on the top of the Erlang VM that can sort of run processes inside of your application uh, instead of dealing with processes outside. You and I earlier today were talking about. Um, a lot of times you'll run um, Nginx or Apache in addition to your application server, um, usually to do SSL termination for that. So what happens is the client uh, connects with SSL to Nginx. Nginx connects without SSL just over plain HTTP to your application, and that way your application doesn't have to worry about knowing how to do SSL. But if you only have one process, you don't you don't get that, and that's that's a lot of extra work sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I think it could be. I have seen uh, some unikernels out there for Rails uh, uh. that that do <laughs> HPS, and I don't know how oh, the wow. heck they work. Um, but but that's the thing is like uh, it's a, to me it's a lot like another container. If you're going to be deploying to a container, you probably want to test in that container. You probably want to have everything configured in that container, and and. So the unikernel difference is that all of that stuff is is compiled into your app and not or compiled into your kernel and and not externally changeable um which is an attack vector and it also hopefully eliminates there's a lot of things if you pull up ubuntu and you run it which is where most of my deployments end up on because almost every cloud service offers ubuntu um, is that you have, there's a lot of things running on that system that you're not thinking of. And security wise, there's maybe some of those that you need to be shutting down or locking down more than the default. Yeah. Well, I, my default is a little tighter than everyone else's probably because I've worked in some security 
Yeah. And, uh, and, and I've automated it. You know, I can get uh, a server up in five minutes. Um, it's got all my configuration of, you know, lock, adding a firewall, uh, locking down SSH better, um, making sudo take up my password instead of the root password. Or no, the root password instead of my password. But so, everything you're exposing in that stack, you are also open and available now to the security issues of that thing. Like, let's say you yep. have, you're running Redis, and somebody finds out there's security issue in Redis. You have to update Redis. You have to update SSL gets updated frequently. Um, all, all these different dependencies all over the place. Yeah. Um, for everything that you're running. So if you can eliminate the things that you actually have to have running... I think that's the unicornal philosophy. Eliminate everything you don't, you aren't absolutely required. Yeah, to have. But uh, I mean, there's there's a trade off there. You you still could have an attack vector in the application, and now you've got to deploy the application, not just you know clean up your nginx configure or whatever. Right. So pros and cons, but uh, yeah, that's sort of where DevOps is heading is is to. Uh, more immutable infrastructure, um, you know, servers that are completely automated, and uh, Unikernels is sort of looks like the endpoint of that uh, containerization. So what's uh what's the serverless architecture? <laughs> um, serverless is sort of um you you deploy your app to a platform instead of to a server. So Heroku, I guess, would be serverless. That's probably the big one. Um, so uh, the other big one, I guess, is Lambda, uh, Amazon AWS Lambda. So yeah. you, you provide it a task to run, um, and it just runs the task. You don't you don't have full access to the the server itself. You just so, so Microsoft a Ad- code. Azure, Microsoft Azure would be that way too. Um, well, Azure. Is mostly the same as AWS. It's it's got all kinds of different services, and normally you'd get a whole virtual server. Oh, okay. But right. I they probably have that, and I think Google does too. But I don't remember which one. What what Google Clouds is called? Yeah, I, my serverless servers are going down. That's the the thing that I saw people joking about. <laughs> <clears throat> well, it's not serverless. It's just someone else's server. I mean, the cloud, the joke is the cloud is just someone else's server. Uh, serverless right. is just someone else's server that you don't have access to um, besides running your application on. You you can't go get on the server and troubleshoot it. Cool. Uh, yeah, I you're saying Heroku makes me think of uh, what I've been working with. Um, which basically you put a Git repo on on a bo- the box you want to deploy to, and then you just push to that Git repo, and it has some some hook in Git that calls out to a deployment mechanism that restarts your app. Yeah, it's really nice when you get when you get that automation for deployments or um, you know anything deployments, uh, continuous integration. Um, Security checks, uh, testing. It, it's just a great place to be. It's where we want everybody to be. And I don't think you get there without combining your ops team and your dev team. Yep.
And so, just because you just because you have uh, an ops team and you call it DevOps does not mean it's DevOps. Nope. <laughs> so so wait wait collaboration is that what we're trying to say? Collaboration is good. Yes, in a whole team whole team approach. So sounds like it might be related to agile somehow. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe we've talked about this before, but I don't know. Well, uh, do you have anything else that you want to add, Craig? Or nope. Should we move 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 on to our beautiful picks? Let's move on. So I've got this pick of my house, and here's another one of my kids. And oh wait, I'm sorry, wrong kind of picks. Every time I see picks. Uh, I think I should ask for age, sex, and location, too. What? I don't understand. <laughs> oh, pictures. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Back in the day, they would say, you have any pics? Age, sex, location. P-I-C-S, not P-I-C-K-S. Yes. Yes. Bad joke. Got it. Terrible joker. Not funny. Not funny is actually my... Dead joke. Dead joke. Not funny is my middle name. Really? Amos Not Funny King. Yep, yeah. There's like eight more names in there. They're uh, all derogatory and mean. I see. <laughs> uh, my team actually has a dad joke jar. You got to put a dollar in if you make a bad dad joke. Oh, man. I would be broke. <laughs> For me, telling bad dad jokes is like a gambling problem. Uh. This week's hottest picks. All right, let's get to picks. What's your first pick, right. Amos? Oh, you want me to go for it? How about we sure. go back and forth? I wrote a lot more down than you. Uh, I feel like Tice today. Okay. Um, well, my first pick is not much of a pick. It's really like a shameless plug. Um, is Elixir Days in St. Augustine, Florida in March is coming up. It is a single track conference and I'm speaking. Um so if you're into Elixir or you think you might want to be, you should head down there. And even if you're not, St. Augustine is a beautiful place and it's nice and warm. Keep, and keep. back to you, Craig. Oh, I've huh? only got two. So you do your, you do all yours and then I'll do mine. Do all of mine. All right. Uh, well, I have to have one for Joe. So uh, <laughs> Joe, the Commodore uh, is a um, stout beer from Ballast Point Brewery. And uh, it's it's very tangy and it's it's a weird stout because it's like very light on the tongue and has uh, a really high carbonation point, but it, it's really good. Good stout beer. Um, and then some of mine are just fun, like all of the Indiana Jones movies and the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles are currently on Amazon Prime, which is really awesome. Uh, and we really can just ignore the Indiana Jones with aliens, um, the latest one. So it is on there, but you don't have to watch it. Uh, and then my last one was, uh, Unikernels just cause we've been talking about it. Um, uh, a friend of mine owns a company called Defer Panic. And I spent today at lunchtime talking to him about what Unikernels are and how they might be of benefit or hindrance. Um, and I still didn't learn all that I really wanted to learn. He is really smart, but we didn't have all the time that it took for, for me to learn everything. Maybe he should, uh, talk at DevOps meetups or something or Linux oh, meetups he, or developer he, meetups. He does talk at Linux conferences and stuff. Cool. All right. Uh, his, his, 
his name's Ian Iberg. If anybody wants to look him up, I've I noticed that there are a couple of his talks online. E Y B E R G. All right. Uh, my first pick tonight is uh, supporting open source projects. Um, being mostly in the Ruby community, um, there are oh, I forget how much it costs per year to run the servers that hold the Ruby gems that we all depend on. And um, so an organization formed about a year and a half ago called Ruby Together. And Amos and I both, uh, through our consulting companies, um, sponsor Ruby Together and all the uh, Ruby infrastructure required to host uh, lots of the open source software we use. Um, they also have a Slack channel that you get access to, and I see people in there all the time discussing problems with their Ruby code with the Ruby community at large and getting help on their projects. So I would highly recommend uh, doing something Ruby together or something like it uh, for whatever your uh, preferred software stack is. And my other pick is a, a an article... Um, on uh, O'Reilly uh, called Five Web Trends for 2007. And uh, it's got some interesting things there, but the one that really stands out to me is progressive web apps. Um, so these are um, web apps that are, um, they're not native apps, but they are mobile first. In other words, they're designed so that they will run on a mobile platform um, at least as good, if not better, than on a, in a web browser um, or on a desktop web browser. Uh, they're responsive, so they you know change size depending on the size of your screen. Uh, they're offline first, which means that um, if you know, you've loaded this uh, web app onto your device and you try to use it again while you're offline or while you have a poor connection that they still work or at least as much as they can without having a connection to the internet and they're cross-platform in other words they'll work on you know an iphone they'll work on an android device and they'll work in your browser wait wait, wait. did you say they're mobile first yes and then did you say they're offline first yep so which one was actually first No, that means that you build the mobile version before... Mobile first means you build the mobile version before the desktop version. Offline first means that you make sure that it works offline um, as well as online only. I I just had to call it out. Ah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so, I think it was Rich Hickey about four or five years ago said that you know the JavaScript platform is ubiquitous and it keeps getting better. And don't don't bet against um, HTML, JavaScript being a better platform. Um, and this article says that Gartner predicts in just a couple of years that twenty percent of companies will abandon their native apps for Android and iPhone and just go to progressive web apps. I I could see that. I've been saying for quite a while that. Uh, um, the cost of building a a native app on one of those is you don't get a whole lot more benefit than you do for building some kind of um, 
web app that that works well. Yeah, and and you can even go a little bit further, and depending on your needs, and so there's things like uh, React Native, which basically takes a JavaScript app but throws in a bit of native widgets on iOS, and and I think they have Android now. Um, so you know you write it in the the web platform and you sprinkle in a little bit of uh, of native stuff. Um, things like PhoneGap um, have similar things. You Again, you write in JavaScript and HTML, and um, you can include some plugins that let you go from the JavaScript back to the the native platform. I've been finding more and more lately that the native apps require me to be online to use them anyway. Yeah. Or or they uh, well the new Mario Run game. Um, I got it just because I had some 1985 nostalgia. Is that the year you were born? (laughs) No, I'm older than that, but barely. Uh Um, Or maybe a little more than barely. Um, And it it just sucks data. And if you shut off your data, you can't can't do anything on it. So that's what I'm saying. Like the native app and and what what are you getting? For a game, maybe you get some better graphics. But for business apps and most apps that you're playing with on your phone, calendars, you don't need, you don't need native. Yep. That's awesome. I'm going to have to read that. Good picks, Craig. Cool. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.